All right. Um, Hey, just uh, uh, as we get into today, we, we do a real heavy dose of expository preaching at Refuge. Verse by verse preaching, that is just the regular diet of preaching here at Refuge because we don't like to skip over the hard stuff. Uh, we have to deal with those kind of things whenever we preach expository sermons. And so that is our regular diet of uh, preaching at uh, a Refuge. But time to time, we will venture out of that expository preaching and do less verse by verse preaching um, uh, because we do believe those things are fruitful and beneficial, but there's also times that we feel from the pulpit we need to talk about some other things that are both hopefully fruitful and beneficial for, uh, for Refuge Church. It may be a particular time, some events that have taken place, and, and today is one of those such, such a time as this that we feel like that uh, uh, it's, it's time to just address a couple of things, and so uh, on the heels of what has become a, uh, the latest in a long and tragic line of school shootings, uh, the latest was the Covenant School in Nashville. It was the site of, yet again, uh, a deadly uh, shooting at a school. And so I have just been, I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit, uh, shared with the elders that I was wrestling back and forth, uh, whether continuing on in our text or to really address that for us today. And, uh, and they, were, they, were, they were very encouraging to say, go with the ghost. Uh, that's, it. That is, uh, well, that's one of our sayings that we talk about here, that follow the Holy Spirit, follow the Holy Ghost in what it is that we feel like he may be leading us into. And that's where we landed today. And so, uh, just a couple of things that as we get started today, <clears throat> uh, these are the pictures of the six victims uh, at uh, the Covenant School. Six people uh, gunned down uh, just as they went to school. Uh, the first one is Catherine Kuntz, the top left. Uh, Catherine Kuntz was 60 years old. She was the headmaster of the school. You know, schools, uh, I'm on the school board in Arlington. Uh, we have uh, some principals at our schools that are uh, principals like the headmaster of the schools and things like that uh, in, our, in our very own refuge uh, congregation. Actually, two principals in, in, our, in Arlington schools that are here. And so things like this, um, you know, six kids between Carol and me that have been in or are continuing in public schools. Uh, so it's a tough type, kind of seems to hit a little bit closer to home. Mike Hill, uh, the man in the middle on the top, uh, Mike Hill was 61. He's a custodian there doing his job. Uh, Cynthia Peak uh, on the top right, she was a substitute teacher, happened to be there that day, teaching in someone's place. Uh, Evelyn Dykehouse. The, uh, the girl on the bottom left, uh, she was nine. Uh, Hallie Scruggs in the middle, also nine. Uh, she was the daughter of the pastor of the church where this school met. And then William Kinney, also nine. Uh, yet another victim uh, in this uh, senseless shooting. This is the 19th school shooting at a university or a school in 2023, in which at least one person was wounded. 
the 19th. It's the deadliest since May of 2022, May of last year, uh, which was at Uvalde, Texas, left 21 dead. Since Uvalde, there have been 42 K through 12 shootings. And with each one of those shootings uh, and the senseless killing of of the very picture and definition of innocence. Children, how do we respond? How do we respond? How are we called to respond specifically as the people of God? Specifically as those of us who claim Christ, those of us who are Christians. How do we respond in light of such tragedy, but even ongoing tragedy? It seems to become just a regular occurrence. How do we respond to this tragedy and others like it? I have a few things that I want to share with you. The first one is this very thing. We weep with those who weep. We weep with those who weep. That's from Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where Paul writes these very words to Christians to enter in, to be part of what's going on, to weep with those who weep. This is Christian empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the objective ability to relate to another person's situation. Empathy, to relate to someone's situation, different from sympathy, not the same. Sympathy means I have some sorrow over what might have happened in a situation. And there should be sympathy toward the family of these these adults and these children who were senselessly gunned down. But empathy means we actually enter into that. Empathy means we enter into the space Empathy means that I get get what is going on with you, or I'm at least trying to understand what's going on with you. I'm getting closer to you so I can feel some of those things that you might be feeling. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, Paul writes that we are to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. We have to enter in to bear burdens with each other. We have to get close to bear burdens with one another. And my goodness, if anybody knows about bearing burdens with one another, it would be this church family, my gracious, about weeping with people and bearing one another's burdens through sorrow and through death. 2018 to 2020 was a three-year stretch that was just crushing for this church family. Crushing. We saw 12 people within our own small church family that died many, many tragically in that three-year period. It was littered with just one after another. It just kept on coming one after another. And if you were not here during that time, you, maybe you, you don't know any of those people and, and you didn't have interactions with any of those people, doubtless you probably had some of those same things in your own life. It didn't have to be here. 
But all of us have experienced those kinds of tragedies before where it's, we don't know how to respond to them. We don't know what do we say in those situations. How do, we, how do we go on and how do we carry on in situations like those? And if you haven't even experienced that, unfortunately, at some point it will come. This is not meant to be morbid. Yet it's meant to help us understand that each of us inevitably at some point in our life will walk through these difficult type situations. Sometimes unexplainable loss and death with someone near and dear to us. And how do we process through that? When death comes, how do the rest of us enter into those spaces with those who are really closest to the situation? How do we walk through those times with one another as such tragedies actually occur? How do we minister to and with and be in the presence of a brother or sister who is deep in the throes of any type of tragedy like this? We do what the scripture says. We do what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. We bear one another's burdens. We weep with those who weep. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that, that we match tear for tear. That's not what the scripture is telling us. It's not saying that you're called to be just as emotional as the person who is walking through the tragedy. It doesn't mean that I have to match the great sorrow that, some, that someone that I'm entering into it with. I don't have to match that same type of sorrow. I don't have to match that same type of grief because it may be someone really close to a person and you may just know them tangentially even from being in the same church with them. And so my level of sorrow and grief may not be the same, probably won't be the same. So we don't necessarily match tear for tear. What it does mean is that as someone encounters great tragedy, the response that is least helpful, the least helpful response is absence. Absence. A vacuum surrounding someone who is walking through grief. That's the least helpful response that you and I, as followers of Jesus, you and I who call one another family with each other, you and I who have been adopted into the family of God, you and I who call one another brothers and sisters because we are part of the family of God, the least helpful response is absence or silence from the people of God. Silence is deafening in the time of sorrow. Where are friends in time of sorrow? Like, preacher, it's just awkward for me. It's just awkward for me to kind of be around somebody who's, who's full of grief and, and, and they're crying and, and they don't know what to say. It's awkward. Yeah, it is. It is. Preacher, you, 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 know, you know me. I mean, I kind of run off with the mouth and sometimes I just say a lot of stuff and, and, and uh, I, I may say the wrong thing. Yep. 
You probably will. I have a list of wrong things that were said. I'm just kidding. I didn't didn't keep a list. But I heard them. You've heard them. In the middle of your grief. You've said them. I've said them. In the middle of grief, it'll happen. Preacher, I, I, I just don't like death. I, I, don't, I don't really like to, you know, when that happens, I, I don't really like it. Nobody does. Nobody does. But to be present, to be near, to weep with those who weep is what we're called to as being part of the family of God. Weeping with Those who weep, just like the text says, assumes at least some type of presence. Some type of presence with the one who is weeping. Maybe it's a text. Hey, hey man, I I know you're hurting. I I know that that you didn't expect this to happen. I I know that you you must be heavy with grief. I just want you to know that I've prayed for you today. And I can't imagine what you're going through. Hey, I, I, I just want you to know I'm, I'm thinking about you right this very moment. Man, that's huge. Maybe it's a visit to someone's home. You're a regular drop by. You regularly stop by on Thursday afternoon at 5. That's, that's kind of your regular rhythm. Or, or maybe you just stop by when you drive by their home. Maybe it's what you just continue to do. Hey, man, it's Thursday. It's when I come by, you know. I want to stop by anyway. I know it's, a, know it's a tough time for you. I just want you to know I love you. Not here to stay. I just want to know, wanted you to know that I love you. Man, seeing a face in a time of great grief is like, like healing balm to a wound. Maybe it's just you grab a bucket of KFC fried chicken. That's what we do in the South, right? Maybe you grab a bucket of KFC and you stop it by and you you knock on the door and say, hey, man, I just brought you some chicken. And that's love language in the South. (laughs) Amen? Come on. Yeah, you know. Man, I I just brought you some chicken. Pastor Scott, for you, I stopped at the gas station and got chicken strips. (laughs) You do love me. You know me. Maybe you stop and get a a tray of sandwiches, or whatever the thing is, just to go, hey, you know what? I, I, I know you're in the middle of grief. I, I know you're in the throes of, you don't know what to do now. Your whole world has been turned upside down, and you probably haven't even thought about dinner. You may not have eaten for the last three days. And here's a bucket of chicken. Maybe it's you just stop by your friend's house and go, hey, come get in the truck. You just drive. You don't have to talk. Don't have to say some pithy, uh, you know, uh, words or phrases. You just get in the truck. Just drive. Turn on some country music. Just drive. Sometimes that's healing. Or maybe you just cry with them. (laughs) 
You don't have to say anything. Just weep with those who weep. You know, Jesus understands this. He modeled it. The news of his friend Lazarus' death, what does the Bible say? Jesus wept. He cried. He knew what he was about to do. He knew he was about to raise him from the dead. But you know what he did? He entered in with the family. He entered into the grief. He entered into the fray and all the weirdness and all the things that we just talked about. He just entered in and he sat with them and he just cried with them. Even though he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wept over Jerusalem. As he looked over Jerusalem, just he wept over Jerusalem, knowing that many of them would perish in their sin. He had empathy for people in the time of loss, in the time of death. Spiritual death. Jesus wept and entered in and cried with them. When tragedy comes, and it will, Jesus' followers, just like we see Jesus do, don't be absent. Be present. Weep for those who weep. Secondly, even in the midst of tragedy like this and uh, ministering to one another, you need to remember this. The world will hate you. It's been very evident on the heels of a tragic shooting like this at a Christian school that there is a worldly anger and angst and opposition even to what's happening and what the tragic events that happened at this Christian school. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I mean you follow Jesus, I'm not talking about uh, deep south religious Exercises. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a follower of Jesus, someone who has repented of their sins, put their faith and trust in Jesus, and you are being conformed and formed into the image of Jesus regularly. Someone who lives that type of life, then the world will hate you. This tragedy in Nashville is the result of a hatred toward some of the people of God. There was a plan. There were detailed drawings. And you can't tell me that that this precious little girl wasn't targeted. I don't care what the news tells you. You don't randomly kill the, the headmaster's daughter. This person had hatred in their heart toward the people of God. And listen, Christ follower, the world today will hate you. It will increasingly, the world increasingly begins to make it tougher and tougher and tougher. It hadn't been tough really yet on us as Christians in the United States. But it will get tougher on you as a follower of Jesus. You may face this same type of persecution. You may face this same type of vitriol. You may face this same type of anger and even bullets fired at you because of your following Jesus. 
How do I know this will happen? Because the Bible tells us so. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 18. While you're turning there, here's what Matthew says in Matthew 10, 22. Uh, Jesus said, you will be hated for all by my name's sake, for my name's sake. John chapter 15. Here's what John writes in verse 18. John chapter 15. In verse 18. If the world hates you, so what's he assuming there? That it will. Okay? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus goes, I get it. It started with me. And so they in turn are going to do the same thing for you. They hated, Jesus said they hated me. And so if you're going to follow me, they're also going to hate you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, I chose you out to come out of the world and be separate from the world. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, because I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the world that I said, uh, the world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and did they? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We say this regularly at Refuge Church. What do people who are not Christians act like? People who are not Christians. What do people act like who have not the Spirit of God who lives in them? They act like people who don't have the Spirit of God who lives within them. It's inevitable. That's all our default position, just by the way. That's all of our default position. And for those of you who are Christians who have been rescued from that, it is because God Himself, the Holy Spirit Himself, has awakened your heart to the gospel, has given you the faith to believe, and has rescued you by giving you the faith to put in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and His death and His resurrection. It is a work of God Himself to rescue you from sin and death. He goes on and says, Because they do not know Him who sent me. 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and have hated both me and my Father. He was talking specifically about the Jewish people in that day, the the people around him during that day, but that extends to the same thing for you and me today. John chapter 3 verse 19 says this, This is a judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. If the world hates Jesus... It is only plausible, it only makes sense that it would also hate the followers of Jesus. 
to stand today for truth. Biblical truth. Not situational truth. And listen, not your truth. Truth is not, it's not subject to change between person to person. I can't have my truth and you have your truth and they both be mutually exclusive and true at the same time. We're talking about the same thing, okay? Talking about one subject and I have my truth about this subject. You have your truth about this subject. Somebody else has their truth about this subject. All those truths, if they're different, can't be true. Does that make sense? Truth is truth. It's not subject to your own opinions. It's not subject to your own feelings. not subject to your own situations. To stand today for truth will cause the world to hate you today because you may disagree with a lifestyle that someone lives, a choice that someone makes, that you and I may call sin by its name, or simply believing that killing a baby in a mother's womb is wrong. Those kinds of truths, for those kinds of truths that you and I believe, the world will hate you. Now it gets tougher. Pray for those who persecute you. Mm, I don't know, preacher. You done gone too far. Pray for those who persecute you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, this is what the text says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this is Jesus talking, love your enemies and pray for for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Here's what Jesus knew. He knew it during His day. He knew that it would be true today in 2023. Uh, that people would be okay with <coughs> people would be okay with love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay? We can all kind of just get on board with that one, right? We we can go, I love my neighbors, I hate my enemies. I don't want to say it's okay, but just track with me, okay? Don't let that be the sound bite from today. Uh, but most of us can live in that space. My enemy hates me, I hate my enemy, and all that kind of stuff. But our king instructs us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So yes, even in the face of senseless and tragic events like the latest school shooting, the call for Christians is to love those who are enemies of the truth and an enemy to those who follow Jesus. No matter how tough, no matter how unconventional that may look or feel or even be difficult to walk through, And yes, to you and me, for even that person that you have that dark spot in your heart, you know who I'm talking about? You don't have to say that person's name. But you know that dark spot in your heart you have towards that one or two or maybe six people? That dark spot that you go, not really willing to give that one up yet. Even toward that person, that, that dark spot in your heart that you still have hatred in your heart for. 
that person that still does continual harm to you and your family, it is Jesus who says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I do believe that Jesus makes a distinction here. Note the wording. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now you and I can can love an active enemy of ours. Somebody that's out there, you know they're they're your enemy, but they're just kind of out there somewhere. And you don't have to deal with them. You don't have to see them. They don't go to church with you anymore uh, or whatever those things are. He just says, love your enemies. And so we can put an ethereal thought around that very thing. It's hard to love them in the middle of persecution. But even in the absence of love, let's just say you're being persecuted by that very person. Even in the absence of love, the call is still to pray for them in the hopes that they will be saved. In the hopes that they will be saved. This is what I want to encourage you around this very point today. That person or persons that you just thought of, I want you to pray for them today. Mm. Mm. The moves come out with that one. Mmm. Mmm. I want you to pray for that person today. So pray for those who persecute you. Not only that, we're called to preach the gospel in this evil day. Preach the gospel in this evil day. In light of these tragedies like this, it's, it's kind of our inclination to lose sight of the gospel. When tragedies come, and tragedies come close to home, and even if they're not even close to home, even, even like this, this one, in, whether it was Uvalde, Texas, or whether it was in Nashville at this school, we're somewhat removed from it. But when we're in the throes of it and we're watching it on whatever your news channel is, uh, sometimes uh, it is hard to lose sight of the gospel truth, and we run quickly to our flesh and our carnal desires. And, and I bet this happened to some of you, It happened to me some this week. Sometimes hatred in our heart can well up. How in the world could somebody do that to those children? How evil are they? I'm so angry at that person. Whatever happens to them is fine with me. They deserve whatever they're going to get. You see my face? I can't believe they would do that to those people, those innocent people. Hatred in our heart can begin to well up. Vengeance in our hearts can cloud the gospel message. When I'm, doing, when I'm this way, I'm not thinking about the gospel. I'm not thinking about their soul. I'm not thinking about their eternal place that they'll be or, or any type of relationship that they have with the creator of the universe. Revenge might even come out of that and go, if I could get to that person now, if that were to happen to my kid, I can't tell you what I would do. I bet some of you said that. I have. Yet even in the face of such tragedies, hatred, vengeance, revenge are not 
the answer, especially from the people of God. Especially from the people of God. But prayer certainly is. Declaring the gospel certainly is. As we pray, the scripture tells us that we fight our battles on our knees. Which means we pray in the middle of battle. We go to the Lord. We go to the King of Kings in the middle of the battle. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who hears us whenever we come and pour out our hearts to Him in prayer. He is the one who sees us. It is Him who is called to be our defender, not our own self. Revelation chapter 17, Ephesians chapter 6 both remind us of that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present and darkness, uh, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the only hope, say only hope, the only hope to overcome the darkness is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially in this evil day. What is the gospel that we proclaim? That without Jesus, we too might walk in those same type of pathways. Without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our life, you too, you and me both, are dead in our trespasses and sins. <coughs> you and me both have the propensity to commit some of the same heinous crimes that we look at ourselves and go, how could anyone do that? Without the Spirit of God living within us to restrain us, without the Holy Spirit to restrain us from committing some of those same type of things, you and I could find ourselves in the same place. And the gospel tells us that Jesus redeems us from those sins. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this air, following the evil one, under the influence of, uh, of our enemy, the devil himself. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. He saved us. He rescued us from our sin. He puts the, the Spirit of God lives within us, those of us who are believers. And He calls us to a different life. He calls us to live differently. We say those words here a lot at Refuge. Live differently. Not to muster up enough to do it, but to uh, uh, allow ourselves to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel message says that Jesus will rescue us from our sin and our hate and our vitriol. And He will implant the Spirit of God, God Himself within us, to change us, to cause us to live differently. It's, call, it's imperative that in this evil day that we preach the Gospel. Lastly, long for the King to return. Listen to these Scriptures. <clears throat> John chapter 14, verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. Long for the king to return. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. As you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus to be revealed, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. 
Titus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, who gave Himself to be redeemed for us from all wickedness. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Jesus says this, My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what He has done. Behold, I am coming soon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 54 to 58. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruptible, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord Jesus. It is then, and only then, that there will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sorrow. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 and 5 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We live like missionaries. Longing for the king to return. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So in this aftermath of senseless tragedies in our day, and unfortunately, in the days to come, there will be more. Weep with those who weep. Remember, Christian, the world will hate you because you follow Jesus. Yet we pray for those who persecute us. We preach the gospel into this evil day. We long for the king to return. And yet still, even in the aftermath of senseless tragedies, Life moves forward. The next day comes. The shock of these tragic events ease with pain in the aftermath of um, my late wife Jerry's death. Uh, there was people that would come and mean really good and, and would say, hey, you know, when, when do you think you'll move on? And I saw a TED talk sometime that finally saw it. I believe the Lord was gracious enough to bring it to me. And this lady talked about her husband passing away suddenly. And how tragic it was and how difficult it was for her. And she said something that has really shaped the way that I live today. She said, you never move on. But you do move forward. You never move on, but you do move forward. 
I'm thankful for that very thing. And even though the things that we just talked about, the things, the, the tragic events that we know will continue to happen, the weeks that come, the, the years that come, there will be more tragic events. There's a way to live in tragedy, after tragedy, and every day, honestly, as a Jesus follower. Psalm chapter 1, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so as you live out your days, those full of tragedy, some of them, some of your days are not full of tragedy, uh, let me just encourage you in a couple of things. Resist falling into the counsel of, wicked, of the wicked, of sinners, and of scoffers. The wicked, as referred to in Psalm 1, those who give no thought to what God says or what God does, don't fall into that vein. Sinners, those who intentionally sin and do it without regard to anything else, don't fall into, even in your tragic times or in your deep sorrow, to fall into that same vein. And scoffers, as the psalmist wrote, try to create uh, doubt around the goodness of God. You may have had people walk up to you in the middle of your tragedy and begin to call into doubt the goodness of God. That's a scoffer. And the psalmist says, do not walk in the way of scoffers. Do not surround yourself with scoffers. Do not, put, do not spend time in the way of the scoffers. It will lead to more tragedy and more destruction. Rather, let your delight be in the gospel day and night. The fact that in spite of your troubles, in spite of the sorrow, in spite of the tragedy that you may be in the throes of or that happen around us, to know that there is hope found in Jesus, that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, you might say, Pastor Scott, how do you so easily move on from tragedy? You make it sound like it's just so easy to just move on, to move forward. What if I'm mad at God for this happening? What if I'm angry that He allowed this to happen, or maybe even caused this to happen to me and around me and to my friends and, I mean, to people in my city, to people in our country, to the world that seems like it's chaotic? How, how in the world... Can I live in the middle of this? How in the world when things are so bad around me, sometimes I think that God may have even forgotten me. Does he even care about me at all? Charles Spurgeon said this. He answered that very question. Child of God, you cost Jesus too much for him to forget about you. You cost Jesus too much. For him to forget about you. God sees you. God knows your pain and your sorrow. God cares about you. God even understands the fear that you may have living in this crazy world that we, can, that we live in today. And so in the middle of that pain, it always pushes us one way or the other. Either it will harden your heart and push you away from God. 
or it will soften your heart and push you toward him. Resist hardening your heart, friends. Push back when your heart, you sense your heart getting harder. Even when suffering doesn't make sense, push back. God is faithful. Soon enough, he will make all the wrongs right. So even in the middle of what you may be experiencing right now, confusion, doubt, fear, even around these senseless killings of these people that we just put their pictures on the page, just the latest in a long string of these things. Five things I want you to see and that will be closed. God is still good even when you don't understand. Even when you don't understand what's going on around you, God is still good. God is still faithful even when it doesn't make sense. When you look around you and you go, none of this makes any sense to me. Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God allowing this to happen? I mean, right now, seriously, another thing in my own life. That Listen, God is still faithful. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He has not gone and hiding somewhere. He is always present. He is always at work. He is faithful even when it doesn't make sense. God still has a plan even whenever you cannot see it. And sometimes you just cannot see it in the middle of tragedy. You cannot see it. How can this be any good? I've said that. How can this be any good? God still has a plan even when I can't see it or you can't see it. God is still in control even when it looks like chaos. And right now, what does it look like? Chaos. Let me tell you, nothing, nothing happens unless God says it can happen. Okay? Things don't have, evil things don't even happen without God's allowing it to happen. Our enemy can't do anything without checking with the king. None of this happens outside of our great God and King. Controlling, overseeing it, allowing it, causing it, however you want to look at that. That's what the Scripture teaches us. That's not me just saying this. That's what we learn that when we read our Bibles. And that even in the midst of that, God is still near you. Christian, God is still near you even if you can't feel it. Being in Christ is not a feeling. It's a fact. Being in Christ is not a feeling. It's a promise. Jesus said, nobody snatches my people out of my hand. You can't, you won't lose your salvation. You can't run away from the king as he's holding you, even if you don't understand it. God is still near, even when you cannot feel him, because God is still God even in the face of tragedy, even in the face of unthinkable events that we've seen, that our country is witnessing, that we see on the news around the world, God is still God. And listen, and with this, I'm really going to close. His desire for you is to know Jesus. His desire for you is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. There is hope found in knowing Jesus. 
There is no hope outside of knowing Jesus. There's no hope for you outside of a personal relationship with Jesus. There's no hope for you outside of you repenting of your sins, you turning from your sins, and putting your faith and trust in the God-man Jesus Christ who gave himself as an atoning sacrifice, a satisfying sacrifice to God. There's no hope outside of you having a relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about just knowing Jesus in your head. We live in the South. Everybody's heard the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about knowing facts about Jesus. I'm talking about your life being radically changed because you have said, I have sinned against a righteous and holy God. And I have no hope without him. So I want to turn from my sin. I want to repent. I want to know that I, I want to say that I have sinned against the righteous and holy God. And my only hope is the righteousness of Jesus being given, credited to my account. And how does that happen? By repenting and believing the gospel that Jesus lived that life that God requires. Sinless, tempted in every way, yet without sin. He died a death on the cross that he willingly laid his life down to be the only sacrifice that God the Father would accept. The blood of bulls and goats and animals and chickens and all that, none of that, none of that covered anybody's sin. Only the precious blood of Jesus covers our sin debt. God was satisfied with his sacrifice and raised him from the dead, being victorious over sin and hell and the grave for you. Our hope is found in Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need, good, we all need Jesus in the good days, and we need Jesus in the days filled with tragedy. Today, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. The face of all that goes on around us, we urge you today, trust in Jesus. Let me pray for us.